Your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ruth, chapter 2, our fourth in our installment. And um, this is not necessary, but I just want to tell you um, a lot over the years of why I do what I do with my kids on this stage. It would be like the school teacher that takes their kids to school. It would be like the restaurant owner that takes their kids to the restaurant. I am intentional as a pastor that I want them comfortable, never forced, with every facet of this place. I want them to be accustomed to standing in front of people, never forced. I want them to have sweet memories of worship teams and staff. And we have an open door policy in our staff where all our doors stay open. And if any staff kids come down the hall, we stop what we're doing and we greet them. I want every experience to be conducive to them hearing the voice of the Lord saying, this is what I want for your life. And I just believe for the Lord to give me three babies and there are many homes he could have put them in with many wonderful people. There just might be a reason he put them in a preacher's home. So when you see my little boy coming and going, I want you to know I'm not letting him run wild. I'm wanting him to love the altar, to love the stage, to love the microphone, to love the foyer. And so that's just the reasoning of Papa Preacher. So just thought I'd tell you. And he asked me, could he stand with me while I preach? And I, well, your daddy's ADD, and that would bother me, and I couldn't do that. So. <laughs> and for those of you that, uh, you're, some of y'all have a special gift. You know, it's like when it's six degrees outside, and someone's uh, directing traffic at the school, and you roll your window down, you go, is it cold enough for you? And they, they just look at you. You'd be surprised how many people tell me, they say, it's hot in here. You think? Uh, no, don't be mad at me. Uh, y'all, the 25-year-old building, um, it decided today that whatever we set it to, and however many times we restarted it, heat was blowing out. And so I asked the question, the dumb one, I'm back there, I said, can't we just turn the fan on? So the reply was, every time we turn it on, the heat comes out. So we are aware it's hot. Thought I'd tell you. So last, you know, last week, all the cold people you know, were shivering. <laughs> And I have a man, I'm not going to point to him, you know, back there. He's in a wife beater tank top right now and a pair of swimming trunks. I don't know where, how far we're going to go. With that, <laughs> at least we're dry. Stand with me. Ruth, chapter 2. The fourth in our series, we are going through the book of Ruth following the redemptive story. We're taking one word at a time. Can anybody remember the first word? Kingship. Elimelech was the type of person that had a name. It meant God is my king. He was called something that wasn't real. And many Christians name the name of Jesus and their heart is far from him. We talked about the importance of not just calling God, God, but living in surrender to him as he was God. What was the second one? Bitterness. We talked about uh, the people that uh, get bitter with God and with life. Bitterness is not woundedness. Woundedness happens to all of us. Uh, you know, and unforgiveness is not bitterness. Unforgiveness is how you view someone else and their life. Bitterness is how you view your life. And we have to be careful not to let a root of bitterness spring up and trouble us and defile many. What was the third one? Home. We talked about uh, Naomi. 
going away from God, Naomi being a type of Israel, departing from God, and Ruth being a type of the Gentile that comes towards God, finds her home in God. Naomi going back home, and Orpah being one that was turned towards God, got halfway about to leave, turned back to her old ways. And we talked about living in the home. Remember the father's house. The reason children and young adults leave the father's house, one of the reasons, is they get tired of the all-watching eye of the father. And they leave and they find out that on the road away from the father's house, famine hits. And distance turns to famine and famine turns to loss and lack and all of those things. And uh, pardon the, the quip, but there's no place like home. God's house here is a symbol. It's a type. That's why I love that song, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere because we're going to have that corporate home as well as intimacy with him there. And this morning, by God's grace, I want to speak to you on the subject of faith. Ruth chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. If you're there, say amen. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after whoever or in him whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she just happened to light upon, or the King James says, and her hap was to light upon the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. Would you pray for me this morning as I pray for myself and pray for your heart as well? Father, I stand before you. I loved what Dave said about your workmanship. In the same way you knit me in my mother's womb, you also knitted my soul in a secret place. And you quickened me and you brought me back to life. I know how inadequate I am. I know how flawed I am and how immature I am. But I offer you myself today, Lord, like the little boy with five loaves and two fish. Insufficient to say the least. But if you can use me, Lord... Use me to preach your word and teach your word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and let this meal feed not only everyone in this house, but those outside of this house. For the glory of your son, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout this series, some of the points are going to be life application some are going to be more types and shadows, and some are both. And so it's up to you to glean from them all of that which you need. We need to know the historical context. We need to know the uh, geographical context, the individual context, as well as to see how we fit into God's story. Not fitting God into our story, but us fitting into God's story. All of us who are not Israelites, and I'm speaking now about earthly, geographical, national, uh, those of us who are not Jews by birth. We are Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews began as Gentiles. There was just one people, and God chose one man, one pagan man, you got to keep that in mind, a star worshiper, pulled him out and decided to elect him, not based on anything he'd done, 
pulled him out and told him uh, that he was going to call him from the land of the Ur Chaldees to a land that he would show him. He revealed himself to him, made promises to him to make his name great, to be a father of many nations. And I love that story. It's for a different sermon. The man was called Abram, and Abram means father, and he didn't have any children. So it was as if the Lord was saying, you've been called by the wrong name all your life. And, you know, well, yeah, I know I'm not a father. He said, no, no, your name is Abraham father of many nations and he gave them strict dietary laws he gave them they weren't all moral laws they were to show an external difference between this select group of pagans who were now becoming what we would call Jews they weren't Jews they were pagan but they were separated they got the law of God they had the types the shadows the the ordinances the offerings, uh, the symbolism, all of that, and they became children of Abraham. Before there was an Israel, Israel came from the lineage of Abraham. So follow with me just a moment. So here's these people, and they became the geographical people of God. Okay, I am not a Jew. It doesn't matter if you go to a Messianic Jewish church. It doesn't matter if you blow a shofar. It doesn't matter if you have the uh, coverings, and I'm not making light of that. You can't be a Jew any more than you can be Chinese. You just can't. And this is not mockery. You, you need to rightly divide the word of truth. There are Jews that were called out. God called out a separate people. Okay? They were given the word. They were given the promises. They were giving an given an invitation they did not deserve. And they were accepted by looking forward to a lamb to come. So all the sacrifices, all the years, all of the, uh, the, the, the killing of the lamb each year and the scapegoat was pointing towards the one that would come. So all of the Jewish believers, there was no Jesus, no lamb of God. They were, they were closer to God because they had in shadow the plan of God. Now watch this. So Ruth, she's a pagan like Abraham. That God sent someone with the message, Naomi, who knew about the God, Yahweh, to a distant land. She heard the message. She heard the stories. And God drew her out of the land of Moab, bringing her in, engrafting her in the same way God brought Abraham, Abram, Abraham, to himself and engrafted the Jews to him. He now calls out the Gentiles through the message of the Jew who's engrafted, the gospel message, the message of who God is, and Ruth is engrafted through Naomi. And then God, through Jesus Christ, brings both groups together, making one person. So now in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, there's just Christian. So having said that, do the Jews still exist today? Yes, does geographical Israel still have a special place in the heart and plan of God? Absolutely. Does the church void out those promises to an earthly Israel? No. But that is swallowed up in the kingdom of God after the millennial reign. So, Ruth, that's us. Abraham was like us. And it all comes back to faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Ruth believed Naomi 
And because the message was right, it was accounted under her as righteousness. Do you see? Okay. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.12, as aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, we had no hope and without God in this present world. Galatians 3.22 says, The scripture has included all of us under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. See, we had to hear the message of God before we can perceive and believe in the person of God. Naomi, Ruth had to hear the message. There's no way to believe in something you have not heard. That's why I consistently remind you of this false feel-good hashtag religion that says preach the gospel and if you have to, use words. As if kindness was the gospel. Should Christians be kind? Absolutely. But my kindness does not save you. My being friends to you does not save you. My tolerance does not save you. Me giving you a bottle of water on the corner does not save you. Me giving you a backpack for your school does not save you. They're wonderful deeds, but how can someone hear lest they uh, uh, hear, hear the sermon, the preacher? And how can a preacher come unless he be sent? They have to hear the message. And Naomi, even in her bitterness, oh, let me hit this for just a minute. We're so hang, hung up on the messenger. He has to be flawless. He has to be, you can hear the message. Now, the messenger can hinder the message by obvious flaws and insecurities and failures and weaknesses. But what's more important than the messenger being good is that the message is pure. So even in her fallen state, even in her backslidden state, she told Naomi the truth. And it led, or she told Ruth the truth, and it led to the salvation of her soul. See, once we believe, we have faith. Divine faith. Divine faith. Belief is not a mental agreement. Ruth didn't say, that sounds good. Ruth developed a conviction that what she heard was truth. And she placed a firm, reliant, exclusive trust in the message that Yahweh, Israel's God, was God and God alone. The only God. And she had a conviction and a stand. So this, I believe in God. You hear, I hear that all the time. And your pastor's an evangelist. I witness. I, I share the gospel. I start, I said, just the other day I had someone, I said, can you give me three minutes? No offering. So I told them, no offering, I'm just going to preach. And they said, sure, and I shared the gospel with them. Because it's only the gospel that saves. They, they have to know, there has to be the articulation of that. And then when, when that happens in the heart of someone, and, it, and they believe, uh, people will say this to me. They'll say, well, I, I believe in God. Well, different belief. The devil believes in God. Demons believe in God. Demons would see people like the Apostle Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, and say, we know who you are. Paul, we know. You know, and they would, uh, when the Gadarene demoniac saw Jesus come, and he said, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Demon wasn't saved. So knowing uh, God exists, yeah, God, and I believe that Christianity is the God. That, that's not saving faith. That's acknowledgement. Faith that leads to quickening and new birth. See, the quickening and new birth happens at the acceptance of God. To have that happen is out of my hands. 
That's why I can't determine how I come to God because he sets the rules. He sets the parameters and he's the one that grants salvation. So Naomi, hearing this message, came to a firm enough conviction. What, what, I love in the Old Testament when the shadows and types just line up to my experience as well. So she hears the message of God being the only God. Well, if that's the case, then all the gods, watch, that my mother serve and my father serve and my schoolmates serve and those I graduated school with serve are false. So I can't do this relativism that says all roads lead to God, whatever. She turns her back on everything and everyone she knew to follow God. That doesn't mean when you're saved, you can't have any friends. It means where she was, she was in a society much like the United States that murdered children for convenience, worship. Uh, it was just a common thing. It was barbarous. And these gods that accepted the torture of a newborn child uh, or the killing of a pregnant mother and burning them on altars of the arms of Molech, she turned her back on all of that. She said goodbye to everyone. And we who have been born again, we remember that to believe in Christ was not, hey, Jesus, come into my heart. It's I will acknowledge you. And what did Ruth say? Your God will be my God. Watch. And your people. Yeah, I, not, not the party crowd I had anymore. Not the party crowd that I got high with, that I slept with, that I drank with, that I, I lived lustfully in pleasure. If I'm going to be with God, then I'm going to be with God's house and God's people and God's land. And she moved. So her conviction led to a confession. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And she said, and let nothing but death separate me from this. It wasn't from Naomi. Naomi wasn't a happy lady. When I, ooh, I get to go live with Naomi. You ever, don't, don't look, just look straight ahead. You know anybody that, how you doing? Well, and by the time they're done answering the question, you're both ready to jump off a bridge. <laughs> Something was happening in Ruth's heart. God was drawing her. And after the confession, there is a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of residency, and a change of name. Ruth's salvation is a beautiful type of us. Ruth is the prototype. So when you read Ruth, okay. think of Moab. Where's my buddy Jason? Think of the hole me and you lived in. No light. No gospel. No change on the horizon. Our lights are getting dimmer. Our soul is withering. And unless God sends a message, we die in our sin. And see, this is where some of us shortchange God and we underestimate him. He doesn't just use vessels sanctified unto honor, fit for the master's use. He'll use backslid Israelites to get the message to you. And Naomi... Moved with Elimelech to a land. Elimelech's sons marry Ruth, bring her into, by association, at least the introduction to Judaism. Well, she chose. Well, yeah, but if you look at it from heaven's perspective, it's kind of like this. 
Any of y'all ever go fishing? Whether you fish with your little jelly worm or Rapala or beetle spin or whatever. And once the hook's in the mouth, okay, and you set it. And you know, like, if, you, if they swallow the hook, okay, they might swim with you. But you're the one in control of them coming to the bank. People, some, here's people, some people tell it, they ran to God and I, 40 years ago today, I found the Lord. No, he wasn't lost. You didn't find God. He hooked you and brought you in and your confession only happened because of his illumination. Your repentance that you're so proud of only happened because of his conviction. And every response you had was like a human body responding, responding to electrical paddles. You see that? Yeah, I shook this in. I'm coming back to life. See that? Well, you see, it's not a perfect type because, yeah, your heart has to beat. But if that man hadn't shocked your heart with those paddles, you would have died. And you would have died in your sins unless he had not quickened you. Quickened you. This is good. So how did Ruth come to salvation? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They must hear the gospel. They must hear. And I'm just going to give it to you very quickly again. So when you're sharing your faith, this in a nutshell, 90 seconds, this is the gospel. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You start off with, there is no hope for you. You're doomed. You're dead. The wages of sin is death. You're, you're doomed. You're, if all have sinned and the wages of sin is death and you are dead in your trespasses and sin, I'll ask them, I said, so what, what, can you, what can a dead man do to help himself? What do you mean? What can dead people do? Well, dead people can't do anything. So what are you going to do? Now watch. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You are a spirit. You have a soul, you live in a body. Your spirit, the truest part of you, the only eternal part of you, your spirit is dead because of sin. It was passed on from your mother and father. Uh, you, were, you were born, that connection to God is dead. Well, I felt God before. No, your soul interacts with people. Okay, my spirit connects with God, my soul connects with people. That's why I can like some people, not like some people. My body reacts to the earth. This is hard. This room is hot. You know, my body knows the temperature here, okay? So how does a person get saved? Y'all stay with me. How does a person get saved? They hear the message of their lostness. Their sins give evidence to that message. I am a sinner. And if I, fa I failed in one part of the law, I failed in the, uh, all the parts of the law. So my soul sees the predicament of my spirit and I can't do anything. So my soul cries out to God to save me. With no, there's nothing I can do, God, but the only part of me that's living calls out to you. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in response to his word, the message of my lostness, his spirit convicts me. My soul cries out for my spirit and he quickens my spirit and brings me back to life. And my heart bears witness with his spirit that I'm a child of God. And I'm made whole. There are basically three types of lost people. In Luke 15, it speaks of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. 
The lost coin is the type of person that doesn't know they're lost. A woman had lost a coin in the house and she knew it was lost and she looked and looked and looked and swept the house until she found it. That's the type of person that has no idea. Well, how do they come to the knowledge? You tell them that they're a coin. You show them, okay? And show them that God is looking for them. How's he looking? I'm the broom. I'm the broom. And see, you don't have to know you're lost to be lost. You don't have to know you have cancer to have cancer. But God loves you so much that he sends people like me, not even, don't even have to be qualified to let you know of the grace that he has for you. Then there's the lost sheep that know they're lost and don't know how to get back home. See, the lost coin highlights election. It highlights the God's choosing of us. The lost sheep highlights our calling upon the name of the Lord and his rescue of us. So the lost sheep, the story goes, in the same way the woman swept the house looking for the coin, the shepherd knows that one lamb is missing and he leaves the 99 and goes and hunts for the one till he finds it. What does that, anybody, we're, we're kind of farm people right now, so we've got goats and guineas and pigs and piglets and horses and cows and just all kind of animals and a lot of odor. Um, when one goat gets away from another goat, or if a, a lamb gets lost, what does it start doing? Bleeding. Not bleeding, but bleating, hollering. Okay. Did you know that your shepherd not only knows all things, but he can find you by the cry of your soul, even when your lips aren't moving? When I was thinking about taking my life before I ever did anything, when I'd pray drunk. Only time I prayed. You know what it sounded like to him? Meh. And when I see that, the lost coin didn't know it was lost, but he found it. The lost lamb knew he was lost and didn't know how to get back. And since the lamb didn't know how to get back, the shepherd went to the, to the lamb. And then the son knew how to get back, the prodigal, but he was so proud and arrogant that he had to wait till he just about died and then have an epiphany and comes to himself and says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired help. And the father threw the coat over his uh, filth, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet and threw the party. He said, my boy was lost and is now found. My boy was once dead and now alive. This highlights repentance and surrendering. So, the lost coin highlights his election, choosing of us, even when we don't know what's going on. The lost sheep highlights calling upon the, naming of, or the name of the Lord and the rescue of us. And the son highlights our repentance and surrendering, resting in his acceptance of us. I won't go into it, but further study, go and look at the four types of soil, four types of hearts. That's the hard heart that you hear the gospel, you've been in church, Ronaldo, it'll fall on your heart and the fowls of the air will come before it can take root. The fowls of the air representing principalities and powers and demons because they know if that seed ever takes root, that strength and power and glory and freedom, all that comes because the seed that sows the word, the, the sower that sows the seeds is Christ. And the words of God, whether they come from John or not, those words are life. And he counts on the hard heart 
See, the hard heart thinks it's got plenty of time. And before the seed goes in, the devil swoops in and takes the word. They're shallow hearts. Nothing deep about them. Shallow repentance, shallow commitment. See, the hard heart waits too long. And the shallow heart makes little room. It falls in. And then when the least bit of difficulty or persecution comes, it withers. And then there's crowded hearts. The Bible says that the seed will start to take root and thorns and thistles will come up and choke the life of the message out. Busyness, living for today, pleasure, comfort, lust of the flesh. This heart stays too busy. The first heart waits too long, the hard heart. The shallow heart makes little room. The crowded heart stays too busy. But the good soil has a plowed heart, a watered heart, a cultivated heart, a fruitful heart, and makes the work of God priority. What Ruth did, any person can do. She heard the message, and she started to plow up her heart. She started to walk away from all that contradicted the message. She guarded it and watered it, not letting false religions false sacrifices. Do you understand that the entire time they were there, those 10 plus years, she was hearing the wailings of the child murder sacrifices. The paganism was all around her. And while hell was coming in both ears, God was stirring in the heart. And she was walking away in her heart long before her legs got out of there. And she was making her own decision. And she cultivated her heart. And you say, how could she just leave everything? Baby, you were seeing the end of that movie. She had been leaving a long time before. Her heart was gardened. The seed was growing in. You don't just say things like this. Your God's going to be my God. And your people are going to be my people. And may God judge me if anything but death separate me from the message I heard from you. Isn't that beautiful? I love this book. So finally, Ruth's faith. That's all she had. What's, what's Ruth going to bring to the table, people? A Moabitess. Moab. God says, Moab is my wash pot, which means, see, we have a shower with a drain. Think no drain. That's a, you live on a farm, that's a scary thought. No drain, just a pot. And when everybody gets done bathing, God says, that's what Moab is. My wash pot. It collects all of the refuse of this world. Imagine Ruth, arm deep in a wash pot. And God saved her. God quickened her with Naomi's gospel. And Jesus hadn't even died yet. It was just that God exists and he's calling out a people unto his namesake. And these are separate people. They're holy people. They're the people of the living God. Her faith was a divine faith. How can you say divine faith? Well, first of all, God's given to every man a measure of faith. But divine faith is that which originates not just with the gift of God, but the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Every other type of faith and belief is a bastard faith. If it is not birthed, well, I believe, well, that does not necessarily mean it's divine faith. It has to be based on the word of God. Ruth's faith was a divine faith. It was a pure faith. Listen, not mixed with works of the flesh or the help of man. 
This is why you can take every religion on the face of the earth except true Christianity and call it false. Because they add to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. I've received over the years many letters, emails uh, from those from a Catholic background. And uh, some were kind, some were unkind, but they took great offense. And one man told me, he said, it just really grieved me that you said that it's a false gospel. I said, because it's a false gospel. I'm not, I'm, I'm not better than anyone. Follow me. If the lamb slain before Jesus could not have a blemish, could not have one uh, toe that was out of line, couldn't have a deformity in the ear, it had to be perfect because Jesus who was coming was perfect. When Jesus died for our sins and his blood was shed and he was going to take that blood into the heavenly tabernacle and put it on the mercy seat for us and they come to the garden to say, he said, don't touch me yet. Why? Somebody tell me. Come on. Because I've not ascended to my father. Don't touch me with the flesh. I still have to go make atonement. Okay. So when I look at the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the shed blood, and I touch it with my works, I touch it with a rosary bead, I touch it with the prayer of a dead saint or the praying of the pastor. You don't, I touch it with attendance. I touch it with uh, driving a 10 speed and, and serving for two years. I touch it with, with a t uh, works and, and sacrifices and, and givings and the lighting of candles. It ruins it. Ruth didn't add one thing to it. She came just like she was on the message of God's grace. And she was received. What type of faith do you have today? Well, mine is kind of a hybrid faith. Then it's a damnable faith. And it'll cost you your soul. Because we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. When you think of the eternal salvation in your heart, you better not mention no Christ Chapel, no John Wood or Assemblies of God. It is faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the mercy and that creates the mercy of God for my sins. The atoning work of Christ. If our musician would come, please. It was an exclusive faith. Not Jesus and. Not Jesus plus. Not, well, Christian. No, there's, all, there's several roads to God. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It wasn't Judaism and Islam or Buddhism. None of those things. It was faith in God alone. It was a guided faith, led and kept by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It was a personal faith. Listen to this. We're almost done. Naomi could share the message, but Ruth had to believe it for herself. What do you believe? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Now watch. He said, some say that you're who? Who? John the Baptist. And others say that you are the prophet. Jesus said, but yeah, but who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Watch, it gets better. Simon, flesh and blood, people didn't reveal that to you. My father did. And when I preach to you, I'm not revealing it to you. 
The Father is through the Word and quickening you. It was a precious faith. It was an active, journeying faith. It was a sanctifying faith that separated her from everything in her past. It was a progressive faith consecrating her to God and everything in her future. It was a recognized faith. Boaz said when he met her, and we'll get to it in a, in a little bit in this chapter, he said, oh, that's that Moabite woman everyone's talking about who turned her back and came into a town where she didn't know anybody but the God that lived there. Isn't that beautiful? Didn't know anybody. If that's God's house, the house of bread. And that's where the promises are. And that's where the promised one is coming from. That's where I'm going to live. Her faith was a recognized faith. Other people saw it. And it was a confirmed faith. Boaz, who was a type of Jesus, the nearest kinsman, recognized it. If you didn't hear anything I said today, I got to preach this part. I've taught up to this point. Boaz recognized her. That's when salvation took place. In the physical realm, Boaz saved her, engrafted her, married her. Everything that he owned, she owned. And all you need in your life to be saved is for God to recognize your faith in Jesus Christ as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Her faith was recognized. It was confirmed. It was received. And it was blessed. It was a redemptive faith. It was a glorious faith. And it's a common faith. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Whoever's watching this online, I don't say this often. Everybody reminds you of who you are and what you've done and you can't sleep at night for remembering who you are and what you've done. My question is to you is, don't you qualify for whosoever? If you're everything they say, you're still a whosoever. And it was a saving faith y'all stand with me this morning I've been waiting all morning to read this there's two things especially it's the one part a moment ago and this I want to read this to you out of the gospel of Matthew it's just six verses seven verses the book of the generation of Jesus Christ son of David the son of Abraham Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Pharez and Zerah of Thamar. Pharez begat Esram. We don't know any of these people. Esram begat Aram. Aram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Naasson. Naasson begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz. No, Bo Boaz. Not Boaz. Boaz of Rechab. And Boaz begat Obed, or Boaz, I should say. Sorry of Ruth and Boaz begat Obed oh it's just pronounced differently in the Greek than it was the Hebrew Boaz begat Obed of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat King David and then skip to verse 16 and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. 
wait. Um, time out. The pagan woman up to her armpit in a wash pot hears a message about the existence of God and the grace of God where he engrafts people in that believe. I'm not an Israelite, but I can be an Israelite. Come on. She hears the message, makes God her God, comes into a field, starts to glean. Boaz sees her, tells her that I know of your faith. I recognize, I confirm your faith. I'm going to buy you. Purchases her, brings her in. They have a baby who's the great-great-granddaddy of King David. And Jesus Christ comes through her line. So what does that mean to me? Christ came through her and you connect on this side. We're in the same line. She begat Christ. Christ begat you and he makes us all one. Same way he engrafted Ruth in, you are connected to the lifeline of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it profound? Isn't it humbling? With no one looking around, I'll take one minute. Just eyes closed, please. Pastor John, I've been in church before. Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you've never been. I don't think I understood the gospel until today. And I want to make a confession, a commitment to provide a firm, reliant, exclusive trust in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross and nothing else. Wouldn't it be something for me to visit on the one day you talked about what I needed to bring salvation in my heart and faith. And God, I offer you my belief in your Son and His work. With no one looking around, if that's you, I want you just to slip your hand up. God bless you. Anyone else? No one looking around. As genuine as you can be, if you're a believer in this house, with eyes closed, if that's your appeal to God, I just want to remind you today, Lord, that I have faith in you. I want you to slip your hand up and just hold it. Look at my hand, God. I believe I believe, I believe, and I am saved by grace through faith. Pastor Wade, would you come? work of faith you will do in hearts. God, and we thank you for this reminder this morning that we bring nothing to the table. That nothing of our efforts before God measured anything. But everything in Christ is sufficient for us. And we rest again in that knowing that this morning. Lord, I pray that you would send us forth, God, in that knowledge 
that you would send us forth in that revelation, God. And if there's anyone here who's still, God, teetering between these two things, God, that you would solidify them in your name. God, let us go forth, God, in your revelation of who Christ is in us. God, that we would be empowered to take that message to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Be blessed today. We thank you. We want to invite you back tonight um, from 5 to 6 for prayer and from 6 to 7 for tonight's service.